Welcome to Healing the City Podcast. This is Season 1. In this particular episode, Adrian Crawford interviews Matt Kaler about his job, living in Tucson, and what it's like to be an advocate for those people who are about to be evicted from their homes. Let's get started. Welcome to Healing the City Podcast. This is Adrian Crawford, and today I have a special guest, Matt Kaler, um, who's new to the Tucson area, and so I'm excited to um, talk with him about some of his passions around housing and um, a variety of other topics. So um, let's just go ahead and get started. So thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and just for listeners, Matt and I don't know each other super well, so this will be a fun opportunity for you all to um, hear us get to know each other um, a bit. So this will be fun. Um, how long have you been in Tucson? So I've been in Tucson for three years now. I came to Tucson for law school. I, um, I'm not from Arizona. I'm from El Paso, Texas, but both of my parents are from Arizona. Uh, they both went to the U of A, oddly enough, and then met in El Paso, Texas. Um, so in some ways coming to Tucson was like coming back to the, the, the old land. Sure. If, if that makes any sense, but. So they probably talked about Tucson a lot like yeah. when you were growing up. And we visited Tucson a lot because my grandparents lived here and, um, also Phoenix. So. Okay. Awesome. And so where did you go to law school? I went to the U- University of Arizona, and I graduated in May 2019. Awesome. So you're a new yes. a new grad. That's very exciting. Um, and where did you do your undergrad work? I went to Baylor University in Waco, Texas. Oh, awesome. I know one thing about Waco, Texas. I bet you can guess what it is, and it's not Baylor. <laughs> is it Fixer Upper? <laughs> it is. <laughs> that is my son Bentley's favorite show. It's and a good we, show. It is a good show. Um so what did you study at Baylor University? I studied philosophy um, and I did a lot of history classes and religion classes. So sort of just that area of that intersection of things. Very cool. Um, and did you always know that you would want to go to law school? No, um, definitely not. I, well, first... A, a short period of time, I thought I would be a professional tuba player. I, I played tuba um, for a long time. And then I realized I wasn't good enough to do that. And then I thought I'd be a philosophy professor. And I sort of realized that I that, that wasn't going to work out either. Um, and so I was sort of, it was sort of a, a tough time in my life. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And you know, God sort of, I, I think it was God sort of put it on my heart that, well, you have um, some skills and, and you've been put in a privileged position to where you can go to school. Um, you should do something with that to help people. Hmm. And it, it was a pretty simple thing, but uh, that's why I went to law school. Is I figured that I could use some of the skills God has given me to help people. Awesome. Um, did you play the tuba in college? I did. I played in the Baylor marching band. Awesome. So it was a lot of fun. That's really cool. I, um, my husband is in, will play trombone 
in the marching band. Oh, yeah. And so, and his whole family is musical. Um, his brother writes some of the music for the village. And, um, but I didn't grow up musical at all. And so with Bentley doing band this year, we went and saw the Catalina Foothills High School um, practice their marching band routine for the year that they'll compete with. And, and so anyways, I'm on a, a learning of marching band. And it's really cool. I could see why you would enjoy it. Yeah. Um, what does Bentley play? He plays the trombone. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so anytime you want to come over and help a little guy out, yeah. <laughs> it'd be great. Um, okay. So you, and then you thought about doing philosophy, teaching philosophy, um, at a college level, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Um, and then, yeah, realized, um, you wanted to use your education to, to give back to community. So when you went to law school, um, did you kind of know what kind of law you would want to get into or did you spend time, um, looking at different ways that you could utilize law to help people? I did look at um, a couple different things, and I'm, and, and honestly, I'm still sort of searching for exactly what I'm going to be doing. I'm in a year-long position right now, so um, I'm doing housing law right now, but that sort of will end at some point. Um, I thought for a while about being a public defender, um, and you know, representing people who are accused of crimes and who are you know, too poor to afford an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took a lot of classes and, and I thought that's where I was going to end up for a good chunk of law school. Um, worked in a PD's office in Flagstaff for the summer one year. Um, but then uh, that just w- didn't end up being the door that was opened for me. Mm-hmm. So. so can you tell me about the door that you feel like is being opened for you? Yeah, I think... Well, I'm working at a nonprofit here in town. I'm doing housing work, you know, essentially providing legal advice to people who can't afford an attorney when they're facing a housing issue. Um, And that's a lot of people um, in Tucson, particularly. Sort of helping close what people call the the buzzword is sort of the justice gap. I don't know if you've heard of that, but um, lawyers are very expensive. And so there are a lot of people who have legal issues, civil legal issues, even that an attorney could help them with, but they have no way to access that. And so there's sort of an access to justice is, is the other buzzword. And so I feel passionate about that. I feel like God might be calling me into working in that area and providing legal services at a price that people afford or for free. That's, that's really cool. So, um, so, um, can you give us an example of, um, maybe a situation that you've witnessed working at this nonprofit or maybe that you've read about or seen that could bring, um, kind of what you do and what you're passionate about into the ears of our listeners? I've, I've already worked on a lot of cases. Well, it feels like a lot of cases. Sure. So there was one family that I worked with who, you know, it's mon- it was monsoon season. And so it was raining a lot and they had a, a leaky roof and they got black mold in their apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had two young kids. The kids started getting coughs and headaches and um, it was a very bad situation. Um, and so 
they would they went to their landlord and complained, but the landlord didn't wouldn't wouldn't repair anything. It sort of just patch patchwork. Of like repair. stick some drywall on it or some like yeah. goo or something. Exactly. Uh huh. And unfortunately, the clients that we serve um, fall in fall into the gap where they can't afford to just relocate. Sure. And so what we're able to provide is, is some counsel, um, about how to communicate with the landlord mm-hmm. and, um, get the situation rectified. Um, unfortunately in Arizona, the law is, is very landlord. Well, not that it's landlord friendly, but it's not friendly to tenants sure. in particular. Um, and your only remedy when, when, well, in most situations, I don't want to speak in generalities too much, but in most situations where there's, um, a big problem in your apartment, your only remedy is to move out. Mm-hmm. And so we do a lot of community referrals to agencies that can help people. Um, I also deal with a lot of evictions, um, and people who are going to lose their home. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of evictions in Tucson, in the Tucson area. There's about, I think in 2017, there were like 13,000 eviction actions. That's a lot. It's a lot. Um, Tucson, there's a, a website that collects eviction statistics. And according to that site, it's not complete, but According to that site, Tucson was like number 11 in terms of the number of evictions that was happening per year. Mm-hmm. Um, and can we pause for a second? So with evictions, uh, um, what what are some reasons that people... Um, and I guess we ha- I want to be careful in some of the language, as I'm sure you would want to be, because um, sometimes we say things like, well, somebody didn't just, they didn't, they didn't pay their rent. So they were evicted. Well, maybe they had mold in their apartment and they were asking mm-hmm. for it to get paid or to get, I mean, for it to get fixed, it's not getting fixed. And so then maybe the tenant says, I'm not going to pay you until you fix the mold. Is, is that a fair story of something where an eviction happens or, or what, what is causing the, what are the stories behind the evictions? Yeah, there are um, various reasons you can get evicted. The main one is non-payment of rent. Um, So one thing that happens to a lot of people that I talk to is they they just don't have the money on the first. You know, they don't have um, all of their rent. And um, under the law... Again, I'm not giving anyone legal advice. Sure. Just for the for the record. Yeah. Um, under the law, your landlord doesn't have to accept a partial payment of rent. And so they can't pay rent and then they get late fees. And so right. every day the amount they have to pay gets more and more and it's harder to catch up with that. Sure. Um, and so in, in those situations what we can do is pretty limited because it's just sort of a dollar and dollar and cents thing. When they go to eviction court, the judge will simply ask, do you owe rent? And if the answer is yes, they will be evicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what, so the law is very simple. The law is very simple, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and not necessarily fair. Right. Um, 
And so what we can do in that, in those situations at, at my organization is essentially just try to humanize the process and explain mm -hmm. what's going on and try to give them some resources. There are community organizations around Tucson that help provide rent. Um, but even if, as long as, even if you just know what's going on and someone is trying to help you, I feel like that's worth something. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not a home, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, but for those people, that's what I can provide. Mm -hmm. There are other issues where if you're accused of a crime, um, a landlord can oftentimes evict you very quickly. If you're accused of a crime, um, that comes up. Um, and not convicted, just accused. Right. If there's a police report, generally that's enough. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's a, I'm, I could imagine those are hard stories to hold. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, the work that you do, um, can you talk a little bit about, um, how, you know, how this experience has shaped your relationship with God and how you see the world, you know, like looking at the justice system and seeing that it's weighted towards landlords and, and seeing some of the, as you, you know, if God is a God of justice and of, and for, you know, the weak and for the poor, um, but then experiencing a world in which it doesn't exist that way, you know, can you talk right. a little bit about your experience? Um, yeah, I think, um, especially probably going into law school, I was a little bit idealistic. Mm -hmm. and I probably still am a little idealistic. Um, but I think it has taught me one to not take for granted where I'm at and the things that I have and to thank God for those things and realize that I have to use the position of, of comfort and privilege I have, um, to do everything well, to do what I can mm -hmm. to help people. Um, I think there's a lot of people these days who worship social justice. Mm -hmm. And I think probably I've been a part of that. When you say people worship social justice, it, are you saying that pe it's like a buzzword and people are passionate about it, but they don't really do anything in that passion? Is that what you're saying? I think... People put can put their hope in this world, mm -hmm. and instead of um, putting their hope in Jesus, and mm -hmm. I think there's trust in institutions of this world and the possibilities of this world. But I think I've seen that um, even people with the best intentions um, come up short, mm -hmm. and their efforts end up frustrated sure and, and and that's just because we live in a fallen world um not to be too much of a downer but um you know it's the problems are so complex and um the whole system to use to use that term is so broken in a lot of ways mm -hmm. i mean it, if you can't pay rent, that's because of poverty and 
race and all sorts of issues that just compound upon themselves. And, you know, it's easy to look at something like evictions. We can fix this problem through the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of miss out on the fact that the problem isn't just that they're losing their home, though that is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that we, as a society, base whether you get a home or not on, you know, your ability to get dollars. Right. Um, which is sort of a, a radical thing to say, but it's it's strange that we say, oh, you need to get money in order to have a house. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think housing should be like a basic human right? I, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I've... I've seen people, there's just nothing they can do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, You're saying they're scrambling. They're always trying to do the thing that they're being told that they need to get a home. Right. And they just keep falling short. Yeah. There, there are just too many, there are too many. Barriers. Barriers. There are too many other demands on their, on their income. Uh-huh. They can't. And they can't make rent. Or if they can make rent, that means they'll go hungry this month or um, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, what do you think um, or what do you hear Jesus saying to the people that you're working with? Um, or an- another way to ask it would be... Um, You know, if what you're saying is that people tend to put their their value and their and you know in the system or or you know like um like our world is is upside down from what the gospel says, right? Like we are we are power hungry and money hungry, and you pull on your boots and you get to work and you do it, right? And yet there are like millions of people that are falling through the gap. And, and those are the people I think, I mean, Jesus is speaking to all of us, but like though there are, the world is just, it's set against them. Like you, like we've talked about, you know? And so, um, do you feel like you've like, there's something that you keep in your heart or in your mind when you're working with people to remind yourself of what's true and not get sucked into, you know, um, maybe the what's the opposite word of idealistic? Like the, like when you become sort of, um, like dragging, what word am I looking for? Um, despondency. That works. <laughs> I don't know if that's the word you're looking uh, for. No, it's not, but that works. So, um, yeah. Do you, do you, I guess just do you hear anything or, or, or is there a verse that you hold dear in your heart? I, I mean, I do think about these things, in the view of in light of the resurrection that's to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's near the beginning of Romans that it says, you know, all of creation is groaning to be made new. And I, I think people, all of 
all of humanity, but especially when I look at, at people who are, are struggling to find a safe or, or a, any home, um, they're, they're groaning for a new life. Mm-hmm. And, um, one comfort is that I, I think the, that there will be an, a new life. I think there will be a resurrection. Um, Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a great verse um, to hold true. And, and because I think, like you said, when you, when I become idealistic, it sets me up for failure in some ways. And so I have to fall back on what the gospel says, you know, which is that this is a broken world. But like, maybe, you know, because of my status or my finances or, you know, my race, um, my position, I'm able to create this world that's, you know, protected, but it's not, um, but even that is fleeting, you know, and so to remember when I see suffering or when I experience suffering that there is a new world to come, you know, and that this isn't, this, this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's broken. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Um, a couple more questions before we um, sign off. Would you have a book that people could read? Um, I'm afraid, I don't. Uh, like a book it. recommendation that people could read if they wanted to learn more about um, the topic. I know. I think I mentioned to you before um, that I have started to read um and need to finish this book called evicted um and it's um poverty and profit um Mm -hmm. i'm googling it (laughs) the the author also of that book i believe it's the the same individual who runs the site eviction lab okay and that's where i i got some of the statistics i mentioned earlier um, but he is a good resource. Um, Would th- you recommend the book based? I know you haven't read it, but based like, have you heard any like, is have you heard anything about it that? Yeah, I've I've heard good things about it. Um, a book that I have read that is not um, directly about housing, but involves um, difficulties with housing is called Nickelden Nickelden Dimed by. Um, Barbara, well, I'm gonna, but it's called Nickel and Dimed. Okay. Um, and that's essentially uh, one journalist's experience of of living in poverty. She sort of took a, she chose to sort of take a job that paid a lot less and work harder to and worked you know to live in poverty. You know, she gave up her car and all that, and um just the struggles from, you know, paying rent to getting to work on time to getting healthcare are sort of in, in that book. Um, so that was a very important book for me when I was, you know, sort of figuring out, um, things in college and what I wanted to do. Oh, so you read it in college, like before. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So nickel and dimed and evicted, uh, poverty, and Profit in the American uh, City by Matthew Desmond. So listeners can check those out and we'll throw them up on our website um, so you can easily access them. 
Um, and final question just about you. What are some of your favorite things to do in Tucson or some of your favorite places to go um, that you'd recommend? Hmm. I, well, I'm a nerd, so I enjoy all the game shops in Tucson. Like board, like you're talking board games or video games? Board games. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So Geeks and Gadgets, uh-huh. um, Isle of Games on on uh, Broadway. They're, they mostly seem to be on Broadway. But I, I have a lot of fun do, doing that sort of thing. Um, Black Crown Coffee is sort of my go-to coffee shop, so I'll always take an opportunity to plug them. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, those are a couple of the things that I like. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I'll have to check out those um, game stores. Our kids really love games, and they actually play pretty co- complex games for their for their age. You know, um, we started with Settlers when they were young, and now they like Splendor and, um, of course, Exploding Kittens and mm-hmm. Dragonwood. Um and Seven Wonders is a is a favorite. It's a great game. And it's funny because their teachers sometimes get on me about them not doing their homework. And I'm like, if you could see the complex games that my kids are playing, you would not be asking me to have them do addition. Right. So, right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much um, for joining me today. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, it was great to be here. So you've been listening to Healing the City podcast with Adrian Crawford. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook and Instagram 